Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome to another episode of our Kardashian Bowden Show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Emma. This is a very transitional episode we have here. Very much so. Basically, what we're doing is we have the season four finale, which is Mason's birth, and then we go directly into the season two premiere of Courtney and Chloe Take Miami, which this time in their life was really something. This was kind of like the peak of Kardashian for me personally. No, it was. It really hit me, I think, when I was watching, I hate to say this because it was so dark, but the sizzle reel in the premiere of Courtney and Chloe, where you just see the Scott trajectory. Those moments, as much as they were so painful and terrible, they were very kind of iconic in terms of being memorable moments. When Courtney says to Scott, which doesn't happen in this episode, just in the sizzle reel in the beginning, but when Courtney says to Scott, I love Mason more than I love you, I will never forget that. That sentence has been burned in my brain for probably the past 10 years. Especially she's crying holding her Blackberry. Uh, Honestly, as terrible as it was, you're right. It was iconic. It was. And and I mean, I know we had this conversation last week and I'm sure that we will continue to have it throughout. I just can't help but have a little bit, like, I don't know if it's anger. I'm trying to kind of analyze exactly what the emotion is, but whatever the emotion towards Scott is, it's coming up for me in not that much of a positive way. And it's unfortunate because he's moved past this. Totally. Well, it would just be so much easier if we could watch these episodes and there was just no Scott anymore and we could just talk about it and be like, wow, what an awful guy. Like it would it would be a million times easier to just take it from that angle, but we know that that's not the case now, so it's so hard to reflect back on a time that was so terrible for somebody when they acted so terribly and then have to have the knowledge that like they turn it around, which obviously thank God for that, but to be able to look back on that in retrospect and still say like okay, but he's good now. It's hard to do that. You know, if it's hard for us as just the public to watch, 
not only can I not imagine how difficult it must be for Courtney, but probably the most out of anyone is for him. You know, if I'm him now, I fought really hard to get Courtney back. It didn't work. If I'm just sitting at my house and the season four finale comes on, it's probably the last thing that I ever want to lay my eyes on. I have to imagine that he won't watch these episodes back. I mean, listen, in that like very recent episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians in the last season when he's basically joking around with them that he kind of has the most that he's going to have to explain to his kids. Like, I think that he severely downplayed that, not just to them on the show, but to himself. Like, I think there is a huge piece of him that forgets how bad it was, mainly because he wasn't really sober for these times. Just so I clarify, I'm on the same page. You're talking about in one of the really recent episodes when he's talking to Kim about if they should show the kids and that's when he makes that comment, correct? Yes, correct. I honestly think you're right that he doesn't fully recognize the extent of it. I didn't. I knew when he said it that he was right. Like out of all of them, he definitely has the quote most, but I don't think I realized just how much. Well, it's interesting because when you and I have this conversation, and I think this is part of the reason we forget, is that we typically frame his behavior around the loss of his parents. And so when we look back on that time and how low it was and how awful it was, we're first of all, kind of rationalizing it by talking about a major event in his life that caused him to act in a certain way. But I think in our heads, we think of it as a much shorter period of time because we associate it with that happening. So when you're watching back and it's years and years and a couple of kids before that even happens, it it makes you remember. I think that we kind of block this part out in our heads. It was such a shorter, bad experience than it actually was when in reality, this behavior went on for years and years. And it also, one of the things is that it's so unlike Courtney to be putting up with this constantly. So I think also in our heads, it was like, okay, she put it up with this for a short period of time. It had its moments. But to see how bad it truly was and how much she really put up with is so off-brand for Courtney too that it's hard to rationalize. Well, yeah. I mean, this whole experience absolutely changed her. And also, I know now you and I are so on the Travis bandwagon and neither of us you know, have that desire for Courtney and Scott to get back together like we used to. But I was thinking about how, I don't know, let's say a year or two ago when we would have these podcasts and we would talk about it. And I think I was probably even more intense about it than you were of like, I really want them back. I think they're soulmates. And we would get DMs. A lot of people agreed, but a lot of people being like, guys, I think you're forgetting how bad it was. And I feel validated on behalf of those people that were never on the train of them getting back together. Right. I mean, yeah, we totally forgot how bad it was, especially when we framed it in terms of the conversation of them getting back together. Although I will say, and I've said this so many times before, that one of the major reasons that I personally wanted them to get back together, or at least give it another shot, is because I wanted to be able them to be able to see if they would be able to make it work with just good times. Like, obviously, when they were together, it was constantly good and bad, good and bad, good and bad, and they never really had the opportunity for it to be just good. So I always wanted them to give it a shot just to see what would happen. But yeah, looking back on it now and how bad it really was, yeah, it changed my whole perspective of the relationship. Yeah. And we'll get into it. I mean, we can start. It's just that if I'm Scott, obviously I'm so grateful to the show for existing and it clearly allowed him to have the fame and the success and the lifestyle that he lives. However, your average celebrity who is as famous as he is, does not have all of his shortcomings as well documented as he does. And there has to be a part of him that's like, God damn, I cannot believe that this is in the universe for forever. Right. And I think you said this last week where 
it's almost a blessing to have the show from the perspective of just his public image, because if we weren't able to see that transition from what he was to who he is and those intermittent parts where he was so funny and so charming and so lovable on the show, we never would have gotten to the point with him where we were able to move past it. Like we, if he was just bad and Courtney's boyfriend and it wasn't on TV, there would be no redemption for Scott. It's like kind of the good and the bad that it was filmed. But the bad for him, I have to imagine, is just from the kid perspective. I think that if he didn't have kids that would one day grow up and see this, I think he would actually be okay with it being on TV because A, kind of rehabbed his image, and B, I think it's really helped him like hold himself accountable over the years. Well, yeah, you don't have a choice. You're right. I mean, once you actually have to watch that back or you have so many people that have watched it, you can't try to rationalize it or make up a story that didn't exist. Right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I I will say that I think, you know, he is such a good and attentive and loving father that I do believe that once the day comes when they do watch this, if they do, and he has to explain it to them, that he will have built up so much credibility in their eyes about who he is and his character that I, again, I'm just totally talking to the wind here, but I, I really would have to imagine that it wouldn't be nearly as hard of a situation if this was still going on. Oh, absolutely. And there's always the ability to take the things that he's done wrong and present it not only as like, okay, you're going to have to watch this. Let me be the person to show it to you. But like, okay, you're going to watch this. You're going to see the things that I've done wrong. And you're going to know this is not how you behave as you grow up and you get older and you grow up in the public eye. Right. Which I think honestly, sometimes can be really powerful to hear as the kid of kind of like, my parent is telling me this and they are using their own mistakes and they're not just telling me about them. Like there's tangible proof. Right. Totally. Okay. So we'll start with the finale of season four. This is obviously Mason's birth, but it starts out with them getting back from Vegas. And initially they just come in hot with Scott coming over to Chris's house and really trying to have a conversation with her. And honestly, I know throughout the episodes and throughout the seasons, there are moments where Chris is putting on that she's a little bit more upset at Scott than she really is just for kind of the sake of dramatics. This particular scene, I mean, this entire episode, but this particular scene was not that. I think that the level of disgust that she was portraying was 100% consistent with how she really felt. I think at this time, obviously she wouldn't feel this way now, but I think at this time that if Scott walked out and never looked back, never came back into their lives, she would have been not only okay with that, but 100% thrilled. I mean, she said that she really was trying to do everything in her power. And I emphasize in her power because it was pretty much out of her control to remove him from the family, but he, she obviously couldn't. Right. Exactly. An important thing to kind of frame this conversation is that he's coming here or so we think to kind of apologize for what went down in Vegas. And he does lead in with that. You know, he says, I can never excuse my behavior. However, he then jumps into, I don't know what I ever did so badly to deserve you to hate me so much. So the conversation shifts from just talking about this one incident to like, in general, you hate me and I want to get to the root of that. Don't you think that there was kind of like a shift? Oh, absolutely. I think that, I mean, part of him was obviously using it to not excuse his behavior, But yeah, justify it maybe a little bit or give context to what happened. But I think that for Scott in this scenario, it was like, I have nothing else to lose. I might as well ask this woman why she hates me so much. 
Right. And he brings up the example that we were discussing last week where he says verbatim to Chris, you treat Reggie and Lamar completely different than me. And she says in her confessional, if Scott thinks that I treat him differently, it's because I do. I'll never be able to trust him with my daughter and my grandchild. Again, she does not hesitate even slightly when using words like never. Exactly. You're so right. Yeah. There was like a real permanence to what she was trying to portray, I feel. And at this time, I think she absolutely felt this way. Like, I think that the permanence that she was describing was one that wasn't an exaggeration. It was actually how she felt and what her emotions were. She says to him, and if you watched it, you know, she starts to cry. I want to read this one thing. We wrote it down because it's pretty powerful. She goes, I want the best for my daughter. And one of the reasons I've had an issue with you is that, you know, she's just always felt like she has to babysit you. Like you're going to do something that she can't handle. She's my whole life. I want her to be happy. I want her to be able to trust the person she's with and have respect for the person she's with and have somebody that will take care of her, not somebody she has to be ashamed of. And for me to have to worry, that's just not okay with me. Okay. Every single thing that Chris said, in my opinion, was accurate and on par. And I think she's totally justified in feeling it and saying it. It was a very honest thing. That being said, if I'm Scott, that's maybe the worst thing you could ever hear from your potential mother-in-law. Oh, absolutely. Especially with a baby already on the way. It's not like you're trying to win someone's approval and you're thinking about starting a family or you think this is the girl you're going to want to start a family with. Like This is already happening. This is already in motion. You are one month away from having this woman's grandchild and to hear her feel that way about you, like especially if you're already in a position where you're nervous about becoming a father and you're on bad terms with your girlfriend as is, that is just a crushing blow. I mean, he had nothing to say back to it. And he, she literally said to him, I just can't have you in my family. It's too dangerous. Which really kind of shifts it from being like, I just don't like you. I think that you're a little bit chaotic. I don't necessarily trust you to like, you represent danger to me. That is a very different sentiment. Well, that's what switched over the Vegas trip was that previously it was just like, you are lazy. You don't do enough to provide for my daughter. I think that you have the potential to emotionally hurt her and you have in the past to after Vegas. It's not just all of those things. It's you now put me in a position where I have to fear for my daughter because your behavior is so erratic that I no longer trust you around her. And that is a very scary position for Chris to be in. Very scary. And I actually want to add on top of that, in addition to everything that you just said, when she says it's too dangerous to have you in my family, I think she also means kind of from like an image perspective, which I recognize out of the two of those is like the lesser of two evils. It's obviously a more superficial reason. But I think after watching the way that he acted in front of those business partners, she's like, no, we have worked too hard for you to fuck it up, kind of. Like, I think that was definitely not the overwhelming thought, but I think it was somewhere in the mix. No, I so agree. I mean, listen, we're dealing with Chris Jenner here. That's always going to be somewhere in the mix. Yeah. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. 
And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So next scene, Scott's with JJ. And again, you know, just continuously calling Courtney, not getting a response. And we then see Courtney at her doctor's appointment. She brought Chloe kind of in Scott's place. And you see Dr. Crane ask Courtney a question about Scott. And she kind of says, you know, he's no longer in my life, which it's obviously very different because now she's really about to give birth. But this is very similar to a few weeks ago when she brought Chloe to that class because Scott, again, was nowhere to be found. It's crazy because she is speaking here. And I think this is one of the only times we've heard her say this of like Scott being permanently out of her life. Like she says in her confessional, like Scott's out of my life and it's really starting to sink in that I'm going to have to raise my baby alone, which is so wild in terms of their relationship. Because as obviously after Mason's born and as it progresses, I don't think that Courtney had ever hit a point where she didn't want Scott to be a father. I think she hit points where she didn't necessarily want Scott to be her boyfriend or be part of like, quote, a family with him. But I think she always wanted him to be an involved father. And that was always her goal in terms of his behavior. It was more about getting to a place where he was good for the kids, not necessarily for her. So to hear her hit a point here where she's considering for the first time that Scott won't even be able to be in the child's life. That was kind of crazy. Yeah, no, it definitely hit different because it was no longer just relationship issues. It was like, I think that you are generally unfit to be around my child. Right. It had very similar energy to the scene we were talking about in the intro of like, I love Mason more than I love you. Wild scene. Anyway, next scene, it's again, Courtney and Chloe and Chloe saying how Scott showed up to Dash. They're kind of just having a conversation about it. And here, this is when Courtney basically says like, I'm not going to ignore him forever. I know I eventually have to take his calls. It's just, I think she was so disgusted and disappointed. And it's the kind of thing where sometimes you just need that cool off time. And clearly he was not respecting it. He wasn't, wasn't going as far as Rob with Adrian. Like, I don't want to put him in that category, but she just needed a beat. Totally. And I think that as time set in, exactly the difference between the last scene and this scene where she goes from like, I'm going to have to raise my baby alone to like, I know I'm going to have to take his calls eventually. It was like, she was not only sitting on him, but she was also sitting on the idea of like, okay, now back to reality. Now that my anger is set in and kind of settled a little, what happens next? So she's obviously taking a much more logical approach now. But for Courtney, I feel like the amount in which Scott was calling worked in his favor. It wasn't an Adrian and Rob situation because I think for Courtney, like especially with the way she was able to forgive Scott continuously, she wouldn't have been able to do that if he didn't keep showing up in the way he did. Like we were saying, like I think it was last episode, Scott is the master of the apology. Yeah, I mean, when you fuck up that many times. No, but it's, it's true. Courtney needs that. 
you know, or at least at the time she did. I don't know if her perspective on it would change now. Like, I don't know if looking back, she would say that she found it to be a boundary violation because she clearly didn't want to talk. I don't know, but I agree with you. I think it did work in his favor. Like, I think for Courtney, her biggest thing was Scott. And you kind of saw this throughout the pregnancy was the acknowledgement that he cared the same amount she did. And anytime it seemed like he wasn't giving in that same effort, she would get upset. And then as soon as she saw him give in a little bit, she came around on the whole idea. Like that one episode where they were fighting because she didn't feel like he was doing enough for the baby. And then she walks in and he had built the nursery and he put that stuffed animal on the changing table. And she thought that was such a cute gesture of him caring. It was like, as soon as she saw that effort that he was putting in, she was able to move past and forgive. And that is exactly what he's doing with the calling where she eventually takes his call because she sees the effort that he's putting in. And at the time, that was almost enough for her. It was. I also want to hit on what Chloe said to Courtney in this scene verbatim. This is how Scott always was. It's not like Scott was always down the straight and narrow road. He only became good because you got pregnant, not because he was really this good guy. What do you want? Do you want to put up with that or are you over it because you're having a baby? Just make up your mind. Which, you know, again, the entire family, I would go as far as to say even the ones that are a little bit more civil with him they don't just view his behavior as not only an isolated incident, but also not like behavior centric. I think they genuinely believe his character to have a lot of flaws. Exactly. That's what it is. They view it as like, this is his character through and through. And every so often he has moments of redemption. Whereas Courtney views it as he's got a good character and every so often he has shortcomings. And that's the fundamental difference between the way that Courtney views Scott and the way the family does. And that's why neither of them could understand the other's perspective on him. Yeah. And by the way, that same theme that we just identified carries its way throughout so many seasons. And honestly, I have to imagine for both parties involved, specifically for Courtney, but really for both, that is so unbelievably frustrating because this is not just exclusive to relationships, romantic relationships. I am sure if you're listening to this, you can think of an exact type of scenario when you were on one of those two ends. Either you're saying, how do you not see that this person is not a good person and they're just exhibiting a few good behaviors? Or you're saying, how can you not see this is a really good person that just fucked up a few times? And when you are trying to communicate that to somebody who looks at it from the opposite end, it is so frustrating. Absolutely, yeah. So next scene, we're at Chris's house and it's Chris and Courtney. And this is when, again, Courtney's phone rings. She's telling Chris that Scott keeps calling. And Chris asks, have you even talked to him since the whole Vegas thing? And she goes, he just texted me. I haven't been responding. He definitely woke up today. All these text messages I'm getting, feeling embarrassed about what he did. You know, not everyone's perfect. He deals with my moods. He normally does everything for me. And so this is kind of what we were talking about where I think it's safe to say that Courtney has been a little bit more open with Chloe about the fluidity of her feelings here. Whereas in Chris's mind, she was kind of expecting that Courtney was on her page. Like I, I kind of think that she thought Courtney was willing to wipe her hands clean. And I don't know if she necessarily anticipated that there was going to be so much back and forth. Which is so interesting because a season ago, or even a couple of months prior to this happening, Chloe was the one that was very much like, there's no reason for him to be involved in our lives in any way, shape or form. And Chris was the one saying to Chloe, like, listen, he's the father of the baby. He's going to have to be regardless whether we like it or not. And it's interesting to watch their position kind of switch here where last scene, Chloe's saying to Courtney, like, listen, you just have to make up your mind about what you want. But like, 
putting that decision back onto her, which she hadn't done in the past. And Chris here is kind of the one being like, I cannot even fathom the fact that we're having this conversation. Yeah, which by the way, I completely understand that mindset given what just went down. Like if I am her and my daughter is nine months pregnant and the father of her child just behaved in the way that he behaved, like I so get it. It's just so different than how I view Chris in more recent years. Like not only is she so unbelievably, you know, accepting and forgiving, but also specifically when it comes to people that her kids have been in relationships with, she really wants to try to make it work. Or even if she doesn't necessarily think that they should be together, she wants to create this much more like welcoming environment, even amid the fuck ups. And so it's just so interesting. I know we said this a few weeks ago, how like clearly there had to be those many failed situations for her to realize, okay, I got to change my approach here. Right. Well, Scott's the blueprint for that. Scott's the whole reason that she's able to even take that approach with people because clearly, eventually it started to work with Scott or eventually she came to the realization that no matter what, I have to deal with this. So it's a, I can't change him, but I can kind of change the way that I approach the situation. And then in the end, hope that that has an effect on him. So yeah, I mean, he's the reason I think that they're all kind of like that with the father of their children, no matter what happens or their significant others. Even with Lamar, who obviously needed their help severely after he overdosed, it's not like there were kids involved. It's not like they really owed anything to Lamar to feel like they were responsible for being by his side and helping him. They could have, you know, said like, this is something he has to deal with on his own he has enough resources and left it at that. And I don't think anyone necessarily would have blamed him, but you know, they all kind of jumped right into action to do what they needed to do for him. So I think that, yeah, eventually along the line, they kind of switched their mindset of like, you know, these are people that are in our lives regardless and we can help them and take it from there. And Scott was obviously the reason that they eventually realized they had to start doing that specifically Chris. Right. But it's funny because Scott definitely is the blueprint, which like, I mean, he really went through it to kind of (laughs) prove that point. He took one for the team there. But it also, to me, I think about how Chris's change in approach definitely kind of had a trickle down effect to the rest of the family. Because listen, they are all entitled to have their own relationships with each other, significant others, once that ship has sailed. And you don't have to be as in support of it as some of the other ones. However, I think we can all objectively say that Chris kind of sets the tone for that. And I think everybody would handle these situations very differently if that was not the tone that she had learned to set. Oh, I so agree. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
Anyway, so they have this whole back and forth. And this is when Courtney's saying, you know, when they're all together, Rob, Scott, and JJ, they rile each other up. And Chris's response is, yeah, but they're 22-year-old boys straight out of college. And Courtney says, yeah, and Scott's 26. I guess it's because I'm 26 right now. That line hit me deep in my stomach. I was like, holy shit, I cannot believe this was you at 26 and this is me at 26. Like we're living two opposite worlds. Like he has a kid on the way and he's party. Like it just, what? Yeah. Hearing ages comparison is like not fun, by the way. Like it's not even like you're looking at that, like, wow, he's at such a different place in my life. That's where I want to be because obviously it's not like what Scott was doing here was a, like the prime example of like, don't have kids until you're ready. Because when you're irresponsible, it's, it's not fair to anybody involved. But just when you hear the age comparison and you're like, wait, that's how old I am. It's a fucking trip. Yeah, it is very much a trip. And I think if I had to put it in the most general terms, when you are, let's say, I don't know, between the ages of like 11 and 16, and you're watching this type of reality TV, whether it's this or it's Girls Next Door or any of those, they are just so old to you, right? Like these people are such adults. It's kind of like the realization that your camp counselors weren't actually as old as we thought they were. And so in my mind, there's still a part of me that I can recognize that they're youthful here. However, I'm so programmed to thinking that this is so old because that's how I felt when I was watching this when I was you know, 14 years old. So now I'm like, holy shit, I feel old. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I was just going to say the camp counselor thing too. Yeah. It's just weird. Like and we've spoken about this in the past where like even if you're watching let's say a show where the characters are supposed to be in high school even at this age I will still view those characters as older than me even though I am out of college already yeah I feel the exact same way and I don't think that that will ever fade necessarily I don't either and then there's also like it gets weirder when it's not like you're watching something that you watched when you were a child you're just watching something now and you hear of like super successful people like in the Olympics or in professional sports or whatever it is. And they're younger than you. And you're like, hold on a second. That's not supposed to be right either. I know it's very, it's very interesting. Age in general is is such a fascinating concept in everybody's own personal like thoughts on it. Because I think just naturally you are shaped by the events of your life, you know, not only what happened to you at certain ages, but also people that you know that may have passed at certain ages. I think subconsciously it, it frames it for you. Yeah, I mean, age is just fucking crazy. It is. So next scene, we're at Courtney's house and Scott is there. And, you know, he starts by saying, I'm really happy that you finally let me come see you. And they're talking about Vegas. And I want to read exactly what she says because it touches on the Chris element. She goes, the way that you were acting was scary. It was like a completely different side of you that I've never seen. My mom's running up to me like, tell him, get him out of here, do this, do that. And I'm like, I don't want to have to do that because it's not my job. I'm going to be a mom now. I don't need to be your mom. Which, one, it's very much on par with exactly what she did say to Chris in the moment and how she was portraying that she felt. But also, I just can't get over the shift here of the fear. Like, any other time there wasn't a fear. And I genuinely think that witnessing what happened in that restaurant instilled a sense of fear for Courtney that was so off-putting and a little bit chilling. Totally. And I actually don't know if she necessarily explained that to Scott correctly. I think that the piece that's missing here with Scott was Courtney saying to him, like, I don't want to be your mom. I don't want to have to be responsible for you. But I think that's something that would have really hit Scott a lot harder was like, I was afraid of you in that moment. Right. Because 
that's a terrible thing to hear from anybody, but especially when you are with child. Right. And I also think that there are situations like this where it need, this was one where it had to go beyond just the embarrassment that Scott felt. Like it is one thing to wake up in the morning and feel embarrassed about what you did. I think that happens to a lot of people. And especially after a night of drinking where you've made questionable decisions, like that's pretty normal to wake up and feel embarrassed. There's a difference between feeling embarrassed and waking up and feeling like I did something terrible that I may not be forgiven for. Those are two very different emotions. And I think that the second one needed to be hit on more. So Scott understood, like, it's not just you behaved inappropriately. Like, you behaved in a way that made the entire family say, we don't know if we can be around you anymore. Yes. And also because you don't have to speak to anybody the next day to know that your actions were off. But it's not until you actually talk to the person a few days later when you can hear from them the fear. And you're right. I wish that she had communicated that a little bit more clearly because I do think that that would have hit a lot deeper. Like there was no way that he would have known how scared they kind of all were because he knew he fucked up. But if, if I'm him the next morning, I'm rationalizing the fact that, wow, everybody must've thought I was a drunk mess. My mind's not going to go to, I was instilling fear in people because that's worst case scenario. Right. Exactly. His response to Courtney saying that is there's no excuse for my behavior in Vegas. Will I let that happen again? No, but you have to understand sometimes it's not easy. The situation I'm put in with your family, I feel belittled day after day. And eventually it's like a person can break. And her response to that is You just can't blame all of this on my mom. I've heard it so many times and this relationship is about you and I. Which I was proud of her for saying. Me too. It needed to be said. And he basically responds by saying, you know, I understand the point you're bringing up. Things were going well. I fell off the path. It will not happen again. And, you know, she basically says to him, like, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if I didn't want anything to do with you. I want to make this work. And that's when she extends the invite for him to show up at the baby shower, which we'll see how that goes in a minute. But I think for his sake, knowing that it wasn't a completely lost cause, because that's pretty much the opposite of the energy that Chris was giving off, I have to imagine was momentarily comforting. Yeah, I would imagine so as well. I mean, listen, I think this this conversation could have gone very differently and it worked very well in Scott's favor because I think had Courtney gone in with the same level of anger that she was feeling maybe a couple of days prior – Scott wouldn't have been afforded the understanding that he was in this situation. So yeah, I mean, listen, it Courtney was at a point where she was ready to forgive him no matter what. And I think that part of that was just the fear of having a child and not wanting to raise it on her own, which is so understandable. But yeah, Scott got off kind of easy in the end of this. Oh, totally. I mean, that was the theme. He consistently got off kind of easy, which is something that if you are somebody that has only really been watching the recent seasons, you forget that because it always appears like Courtney has such a short fuse with him and that Courtney is giving him such a hard time. And I, even me who watched all of these, I still at times felt that way. But now rewatching this, it's kind of like, no, she gave him so many chances that she has every right to have the lowest tolerance in the world if she wanted to, which by the way, she doesn't. She has actually a higher tolerance than most people probably would. Yeah, I think so as well. Anyway, so he shows up to this baby shower. Chris has no idea. I, by the way, like, I genuinely believe she did not know he was coming. What a crazy thing to do. That could have gone so poorly for her. Honestly, though, what was Courtney going to do? Tell her? Like, I almost think it was better. 
because it would have ruined probably the first half of it for Chris. She would have had so much anxiety going in. So it was almost kind of like she was blindsided and then she just had to deal with it. And she did, you know, she wasn't going to cause a whole scene in the middle of her event. That's such a Courtney move though. Such. Kim would never. No, most of them wouldn't. It was so Courtney to just be like, oh, what? I didn't tell you Scott was coming. Yeah, we're fine. I've forgiven him. There's also this one little clip where I think it's, you know, a family friend asking Kim when she's going to get married. And she says, you know, I'm going to do it when the time is right. And I know they just breezed right over it. It wasn't like Kim said anything in her confessional, but these are all of the moments that I have to imagine added up over the years. In addition to the fact that Courtney was doing it and, you know, she felt behind her siblings where the pressure was really mounting. Like it wasn't just external in terms of the public. It wasn't just within her family. I think it was also all of these little comments that were constantly asked of her, not just from the media, but also from like the Statter family of the world. Yeah, I exactly. I, I picked up on that too. So next scene, we fast forward four weeks later and they're at Courtney's house. Her water breaks and it's Scott doing the camera work. It's Kendall and Kylie there, which I don't know why they were there. I would have thought they would have obviously been in Chris's house. So just for reference, when Courtney's water broke with her first child, it was Scott, Courtney, Kylie, and Kendall. That was the crew. I still have no idea why Kendall and Kylie were there. Like, it's not weird to me that they would have gone over to their sisters for a sleepover. Like, I I think that that was probably pretty common for them, especially being the younger sisters with such older sisters. I don't know why in Courtney's ninth month of pregnancy, when she's about to pop, they would have just said like, why doesn't Kylie and Kendall just spend the night at your house? I, yes, it was very bizarre to me. I I have to wonder what that was about. Also, what I can't stop thinking about is obviously, you know, for the whole family to be able to watch this moment back is amazing. But if you're Mason, the ability to watch your parents in the very moments before you're born and, you know, she's putting on makeup and they're talking about their nerves and it's like the most honest it's just the most honest reaction to the situation. Like there's no way that they could ever tell him that story in story form and have it hit the same as him being able to watch it. I personally would do anything to have video footage of that of my parents. I I know. Isn't that so crazy? And also he wouldn't believe them. Like he would not believe that Courtney was just walking around the house, water broken, folding laundry, putting on makeup, taking a shower before she goes, taking her sweet time getting there. Like he would have thought that that was just an exaggeration of the night before. But no, Courtney literally just was so calm, took her time, like nothing was even happening. Yeah. Like the way that I envision it is Scott telling Mason, let's say he's like 14. So in a few years and he's like, you wouldn't believe it. Mom, she was cool as a cucumber. She's putting on makeup. She's doing laundry. Like Scott's personality is a little bit exaggerated in nature. And so I am sure that Mason would just think that he was kind of like amping it up. Meanwhile, he gets to watch the film and see that Scott is so absolutely on par. Yeah, that's so funny and exactly how it would go down. You're so right. Oh, I I was so grateful that they filmed this. Same. Anyway, I mean, you guys know what happens. They all meet at the hospital. There's only a few allowed in the room. So Kim's like hiding in the closet and it's just so sweet. They're all there. All so supportive. Again, Courtney could not be calmer. And then, you know, we get, I think one of the most memorable moments in reality television history where she literally pulls Mason out herself. And you see that everybody, including Kris Jenner, who had six kids herself and birthed them all naturally is like, what the fuck just happened? You know what's funny about this is that I feel like it was 
a major miscommunication that eventually just became like a trend that she did with the rest of her kids and became such an iconic moment. But Dr. Crane says to her, like, do you want to like reach down? And I think that the way Scott explains it in the confessional was like, he was basically like, do you want to touch Mason as he's coming out? And instead of just touching him, she just grabs him and pulls him. And I feel like she just like misunderstood what was being asked of her in that moment. And then it just like worked. Yeah. And then it was just like an iconic, perfect moment. But it felt like it started with a little bit of a miscommunication. Totally. And we see Scott cutting the umbilical cord. I just, it's it's very, honestly, I could not even know the family. Like, clearly we are 20 seasons in. We are so tuned into this family, but it could be anybody. And I would be emotional watching a family together in a delivery room right after they give birth. Like, I just think it is such an unbelievably beautiful process. It is. You never watched a baby story on TLC? I did, of course. I used to watch every single day when I came home from school with my mom. There's just, I have to imagine that the energy in that room, I've never been in the room when somebody was actually giving birth. And I have to imagine that it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I would imagine. So I also have never been in the room, but I I could only imagine what that's like. When the doctor handed my dad the scissors to cut it, he was like, no, 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 you do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So final scene, it's a few weeks later, they're at Chris's house and, you know, they're all hanging out. Simon's there, Jonathan's there, the whole family's there. And this is when Courtney announces that her and Chloe are actually going to move to Miami temporarily because Dash really needs help and they're going, which the whole family is completely thrown off, specifically Chris, because she's like, you're going to take away my first grandchild from me. But this was kind of the lead into Courtney and Chloe take Miami. Caitlin in this moment was like the worst possible person you could have there. She's literally saying to Chloe, like, you just got married and you're going to leave. And Chloe's like, I do not want to go. I kind of have to go. And Caitlin could not have been less supportive and kind of set, as you'll see in the next episode, the entire scene for the way Chloe felt about having to be in Miami, which was just ridiculous. I so agree. However, I just want to say when Caitlin says the words like, wow, it's really going that bad. And Chloe's immediately so offended. I think that was a miscommunication. I think that Chloe thought that Caitlin was saying, wow, marriage is so bad. You're already fleeing to Miami. Where I think what Caitlin was saying was like, it's really going that bad with the store that you need to leave. And I mentioned that because a few episodes ago when it was their wedding special and they have that other miscommunication when they're sitting on the bed, I forget what it was about. It was the exact type of thing where it came across as so much worse. Like, yes, her entire way she was going about it was terrible. But I think that that one line was a miscommunication. Oh, that's so interesting. I assume that she meant marriage as well. I, I honestly don't think so. Oh, I really thought that she was like just trying to make a joke and be like, oh, your marriage is so bad that you already have to leave. That is no, so I'm- interesting. I don't know. I never considered that it was the, it was the other thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You can th- sleep on it and see what you think tomorrow. I, I Yeah, maybe. I probably won't. <laughs> I just – I can't imagine like I understand that she handles herself in ways that in these moments I think we all are just like oh but with this particular thing I don't think she would say it's really going that bad you're really giving the benefit of the doubt here I'll let you have it yeah I am Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. 
Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondering app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. So this leads us directly into Courtney and Chloe Take Miami, which we're not going to do a full recap for this episode since it was really uneventful, but they're kind of just getting everything settled in Miami. We see Dash is like a total mess. And Courtney had gone down with Scott ahead of Chloe. So when Chloe finally gets there, Courtney had basically taken it upon herself to get a lot of the stuff done. And I think that Chloe was having like a bit of an emotional reaction to it, like not understanding that it was the logistically sound thing to do, but more so like, why am I down here if you're going to handle it yourself? But the one scene that I just want to mention here is when Chloe finally gets there and Scott basically comes into the room and gives her this entire guilt trip about not being there, you know, Courtney being so stressed out. And I was just sitting back thinking, wow, that is real ballsy of you. Yeah, he kind of took it on himself to be like, this is an opportunity where I get to prove myself where like, I'm now the one that's in the responsible position and I can take care of Courtney and I'm going to step up. And obviously this is such an example of like, okay, Scott, but actions speak louder than words. And all I hear is talk from you, which is very Scott in these early days. But it did seem like he was like, this is my moment. Like, this is a moment I'm going to shine and really step up and prove myself here. Right, which is such bullshit because the plan was always that Courtney was going to go down ahead of time. Chloe had given way more of a sacrifice than Scott. She's right. She just got married and she's leaving to help Courtney, partially because you are not a substantial enough partner for her to fully rely on. Like To me, I was like, stay in your lane and watch yourself here because you just got on like speaking terms with the rest of the family. Also, you know how mad Chloe was in this moment because she actually didn't even react. Like she was so done with Scott and so done with the fact that this conversation was even taking place and thought it was so ridiculous that it did not warrant a response from her. She was literally just like, get out of my room. And that was it. Well, they say when you are the most mad is potentially when you're the calmest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, I can't believe they're living together. I just can't believe this whole thing. I loved the spinoffs. And I'm really excited for this one. I hope it'll be good to recap. If it's not, we'll do a brief recap and then we'll get into season five because that one has a lot going on. I'm scared it's just going to be too painful with Scott. That's my only concern. I think people probably expect that we would watch like the entire season ahead of time to kind of evaluate how we should do it, but we don't do it because it's so much more fun to react like within 24 hours of watching the episode. Yeah, no, I I don't want to do it any other way. Yeah. Like I know it would make our lives a lot easier to kind of like I guess, pre-record a bunch, but it's just so much more fun to do it as a reaction. Also, it's much more fun and not that much changes with Scott and the family week to week, but it is more fun to record and have the knowledge of what's currently going on that week in their lives compared to what is happening in the show. Yeah. I actually wanted to tell you, because I know that you are an A.L. Booker fan, on last night's episode of Beverly Hills, there was a scene where Delilah and Ayal came over to Lisa's house and Amelia Amelia was there too, not with Scott. And in Lisa's confessional, she's just saying how much they adore Ayal and how even her husband, Harry Hamlin, thinks that like this could really be the person and he's given his blessing for marriage. And she's like, and then there's Scott. 
And Isabel and I were saying like, if I'm Amelia and I'm watching this, the contrast was so stark and so unapologetic that like, even though obviously Lisa's totally right, it just must've been hard to watch. Uh, Isabel actually texted me about this last night. So I'm very caught up on what happened in Beverly Hills last night in that regard. The thing that I actually wanted to say to you was, it's really interesting to me to watch Scott continuously do this. And I wonder if there is something almost like Stockholm Syndrome-esque with the way that he approaches his relationships. Because to have to have spent his entire adult life winning over Courtney's family only to date women whose family also does not like him and then have to continuously try and do that again, especially with Lisa Rinna, who is so vocal about not liking him. I wonder what the thought process there is for him because he has literally spoken about how finally getting Chris's and the family's approval was one of the most important things in his life to watch him continuously put himself through that. It's either like he's aiming for that satisfaction over and over again, or he's like a sick little puppy going back because it is so strange to me that he's doing that. Right. And I, it's a really great observation, but I'm going to throw into the ring a third option, which is that, and I hate this because it disgusts me, but like his exclusivity to dating such younger women just trumps all. And it doesn't even matter, honestly. No, I mean, I, I do think that that's possible, but I think there has to be the familial element there. Oh no, I think that he, you know- one would think that based on what he went through, you're right. Like he would want to come into a family that is just like so overwhelmingly warm and accepting from the jump because he never really had that. However, I think that like the two can't coexist. You're not going to date a really young girl and also have a family that's immediately accepting. And I think if he's choosing one, like he wants to date a 19 year old and so fuck the rest. That's honestly, I hate to say it because I, I find it so gross, but I think that that's what's happening. Yeah, I don't know. It's so interesting though. Yeah. Anyway, anything else? I think that's it, kid. I think so, too. We love you guys. We will see you next week for a regular episode. Isabel and I will see you tomorrow for Bravo. And thanks for listening. We're so lucky we get to do this. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like, generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.